good to be in God's house today. If y'all will, turn with me in your Bible. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 5. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 5. That's better than telling you as of last week to go to Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. I said that last week when people were like, oh, snap, it's getting real in here, right? We've been in this uh, series, Elephant Room, for uh, about two weeks. It's week three now. And uh, the last two weeks have been pretty heavy. Uh, I mean, we talked starting out with um, the topic of abortion, and, uh, and it's needed. We need to talk. We need to know that God's Word addresses current issues, because truth does not change, right? Truth is fact. Truth is reality, and we have to align ourselves. We might have different situations in life, but truth doesn't change. And then last week, we talked about that there is coming a day of judgment. There's coming a day of judgment, and there's coming a day for those who reject Jesus Christ of eternal punishment apart from God in hell. And so we, we covered two really tough topics, and to, so today is a little bit easier, to be honest with you. Uh, hopefully it'll be beneficial to you. But we're going to be talking about, as the message is titled, Thick Skin, Soft Heart. Um, I was going to go with this title, Snowflake, but I figured that that was going to get some people upset a little bit. Um, but the whole point is, like, people are so, always so offended by everything, right? I mean, everything. You can't say anything without offending somebody or do anything. And, you know, you've had people who, you know, from 40 years ago are having to come back and say they're sorry for stuff that was contextually. Maybe it wasn't the most sensitive thing to say or do. But, uh, you know, they're, they're over here not because they want to, but simply because they're being forced to in a culture that basically is what we call cancel culture. So uh, we're going to be talking about that today. And we're going to be looking at an example specifically of David, King David, when he could have done whatever he wanted to those who were seeking to offend him, to snub him, to wrong him, and he responded in a different way, which I believe is so important for us as followers of Jesus Christ to see why he responded in that way and to recognize how we can do the very same thing. Before we get started, there, New City Catechism, we're on week 42. It says, how is the word of God to be read and heard as a congregation with diligence Preparation and prayer, so that we may accept it with faith, store it in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. We're going to practice that in our lives. It's a cool thing. I've been going through almost every year for at least the last six or so years, maybe more. But um, I usually grab a a group of guys, and we'll go through the Bible together. Now, does it always work out that everyone makes it through? No. But the point of it is, is that we're starting, right? The point of it is, is that we're trying, we're seeking, we're getting more acclimated with the Bible. I had someone tell me a few weeks ago, they said, man, I knew that I wasn't where I needed to be when you said go to Deuteronomy. I don't know when I said that, but I said that maybe in one of the messages. And they were like, I got to figure out where that's at in my Bible, you know. And so I want to say to you this morning, wherever you're at, maybe you're brand new to the, to the whole idea of Christianity, or maybe you've been a Christian for a while, but you've just never opened the Bible. I'm just encouraging you, start where you're at. Let's not talk about and be upset with where we want to be or wish we were. Start where you're at. Be faithful to study God's Word. And I promise you this, there's always a blessing for those who hear it and those who read it and those who apply it in their lives. But one of the blessings was this text. This text was part of my daily um, Bible reading as I'm, as I'm working through the Bible. And um, it's about King David when his son Absalom if any of y'all got any bad kids in here, you don't have to raise your hands, but um, King David had a messed up family. So some of y'all are like wondering, like, man, does the Lord like really love me? I mean, the Lord loved David, but <laughs> his family was messed up. Like David made some mistakes, and his family was an expression of some of those things. And so Absalom, his son, he had banned him from the kingdom, but then he had brought him back. And the reason he banned him in the first place is because he killed another one of his sons, right? Okay, so we're, we're seeing the dysfunction already there. 
Then he brings him back, and then basically Absalom begins to usurp authority from David, and now he's kicking David, his own father, out of the kingdom. David's on the run with some of his chosen men who are still with him because a lot of them have started following his son Absalom. And so he's on the run, and next thing you know, you find this dirtbag named Shimei. Do I know he was a dirtbag? I think he's a dirtbag. I'm kind of adding that in there. But um, you, you find him, and when a dog's already down, you, you don't typically kick it, right? Um, and that's exactly what he's doing in this text. David is running for his life. We have the Bible, but he didn't know if this was going to end in him coming back to his kingdom, which it did. He didn't know how this was going to turn out. And yet this man right here, who he could have had killed at a moment, at a word, spoke, cursed, spit, threw, rocks, slung dust, absolutely hated David. And we're going to see how David responded to him. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 5, it says, When King David came... To Burham, there was a man who came out of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came out, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and at all of the servants of, servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men who were on his right and on his left. So David was with an entourage, right? You know, you ever find yourself at places where you have someone who's saying something to you, and if it was at a different place, different time, and a different group of people, you might say some different things and respond in a different way. Well, David had all the power, had all the authority, and had the right to respond in an aggressive manner to Shimei. And Shimei said, as he cursed, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has given the kingdom in uh, into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? If he is cursing me because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you cursed? Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all of his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite leave him alone and let him curse? For the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong that's done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on to the road while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite of him and cursed him as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself. And that is the word of God this morning. David could have straight up killed that guy. I mean, he didn't even have to bring it up. And one of his close guards, if you will, was just like, man, why don't you let me kill him? Like, I'll just take his head off. Not a problem. I mean, there wouldn't have been a single person there that would have said, man... That's too harsh, David. That's too much. I mean, he's over there cursing the king while the king is retreating, fleeing for his life while his son Absalom is trying to kill him. I mean, every single one of them would have cheered him on. If David was seeking popularity and more so with his men, they would have slaughtered him to give him a pick-me-up, if you will. They would have gone ahead and taken care of business. And yet David doesn't respond anything like many people today do. Many people today don't even have to have someone to curse you physically at all. All they got to do is look at you the wrong way or not look at you at all when they should have looked at you in the right way in the first place. And you're mad. You're mad at them. Like you're holding the grudge from years and years ago because someone didn't 
invite you to a birthday party that your kid could have come to, and you know that it wasn't a snub to your kid, it was a snub to you. I mean, you ever been there? I mean, you got people all the time. It's like, listen, if somebody didn't invite you and your children to the birthday party, it doesn't mean anything. It just means they might have forgotten in the process of it, or it means they might not have enough room in their house if they're having a sleepover. But I'm telling you, some people, man, it's just like you've, you've, you've done started a war. You know, you, you've started something you can't end. You're like, do people really do that? They do. They do. Your son doesn't get picked for the baseball team or your daughter doesn't get picked for the softball team. You know what I'm saying? Like, it gets real really quick. And David over here has something much worse than what we're talking about, and yet people all the time, they're offended about everything. I want to ask a question. I I believe that in every circumstance that we go through in life, that I believe that God has a way for us to grow in those circumstances. You know, a lot of times we think that God's helping us when things are going good. I would say this, God is equally helping you when things are not going well, when you're able to say, I can't do it. You know, when you're able to actually recognize that you need the Lord's help and you need the Lord's wisdom and you need the Lord's grace and mercy in your life, I think that's one of the most relevant times to say, Lord God, thank you for making me recognize like I can't do it on my own. I don't control everything. And that's really what we're looking at today when we look at the psychology of someone who's always angry, who's always bitter, who's always finding a reason to be offended. And if that's you this morning, I want to tell you this morning, there's hope. Praise the Lord, right? There's hope in the name of Jesus. And for all of us, there's greater extents of joy when we look for it. When we look for joy, joy can be found because what we're really looking at today is in verse 14, it says this, and there he refreshed himself. I want to say this to you. Where are you finding your refreshment? Where are you finding refreshment for your soul for your just heart overall, for your spiritual life? Where are you finding yourself running to when things aren't going the way that you want them to go, when things aren't going the way that you had planned them, when people are treating you ill, treating you wrong? Because I want to tell you, there's five different things that we can look at this morning of people who are easily offended. If you got your notes, I want to show you a few of them. People who are easily offended, they look for a reason, number one, to be offended. Like if you're, if you're looking for a reason to be offended, you are going to find it. Now, if you're looking for a reason to find joy and peace and happiness, you're going to find that as well. But what you seek after, you're going to find. I have people sometimes look at me and they come up after service and I'm like, man, I didn't like what you had to say. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry, I guess. You know, I mean, but it's one of those deals. Like, hopefully you're not coming just for the message aspect of it. Hopefully you're coming because you know that it's the will of God that his people would come together in community. Hopefully you're coming to help other people live for Jesus. Hopefully you're coming to edify your soul through the reading of scripture and the singing of songs. You know, but if you're looking to be offended, you're going to find offense pretty much anywhere you look. Now, why do people do that? Because people put people in places of idolatry. If you ever look to your spouse, for instance, to make you feel completely satisfied and completely whole, you're always going to be let down one way or another because they weren't intended to be God for you. If you're looking for your spouse to fulfill you, if you're looking for your job to somehow meet a need that otherwise it could not possibly be met, and somehow it's going to be, this one's going to be the right one, and this one's going to be the perfect one, I want to tell you this, work hard, get the job, get the education, do what you need to do, but I want to promise you this, you are going to find difficult people at every single job that you go to. You're going to find difficult situations at any place and at any time and in any relationship. We've got to recognize How are we growing in the midst of difficulty as well as in the midst of the easy times? If you look to money as your God, it's going to let you down. If you look to a political party or a candidate come November, either way, you will be let down. Timothy Keller said it this way, if we look to some created thing to give us meaning, 
hope, and happiness that only God himself can give, it will eventually fail to deliver and break our hearts. If we're looking to anything or anyone sooner or later, you're going to get let down. Sooner or later, they're not going to be able to live up to your standards. And even if you're with a really great person or with a really great job or making really good money, sooner or later, you're going to continue to raise your standards or raise your way of living. And it's not going to be able to meet it when you put someone or something in the place of God. And what do we call that? We call it idolatry. We call that idolatry. Timothy Keller again says, an idol is something that we look to for things that only God can give. It's a pretty good definition, isn't it? An idol is something that we look to for things that only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll fill my life as meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll have significance and security. Second thing that people who are always offended, not only are they looking to be offended, but secondly, the other thing that goes along with is they have a need to feel in control. You ever been around somebody that just feels like they have to have control of every single situation and every single thought and every single thing? I mean, I don't know if you know this, but honestly, you don't control nearly, and I don't control nearly as much as we think we do. But if you think you control everything and everyone should do what you say that you say they should do, what happens? Man, when they don't do it, how do you feel? You're ticked. You're let down. You're upset. Your expectations are not met in the process of it. Erica and I received a call this, this last week. I believe it was on Wednesday. And, um, and we're, we're foster parents. And it was a call for a one-year-old uh, to potentially have a placement in our home. And so Erica is like, you know, we're excited. We're like, okay, uh, we're, we're willing to do this. We'll add, you know, someone else to our crew, right? And, um, and so anyway, she began to look at a picture that they sent of the young boy to us. And then she's friends with another girl that's on social media that has a lot of foster children. And then was like, that looks like their child that they just got. And so she reached out to that person and was like, hey, you know, it looks like we're going to receive one of the children that you have. They have a lot of kids in their home. And, you know, I just wanted to know what we should buy, what we should purchase, you know, uh, how, does, how, does they, how do they behave, you know, all those things. And this, this young lady that Erica doesn't truly know was like super upset. She's like, I can't believe this is happening. This is ridiculous, so on and so forth. Erica's just like, whoa, we're not trying to steal the kid. You know, we're, we're not trying to take, you know, him from you or anything like that. And, and so that whole situation actually got resolved. But the issue is, is we don't have any control over a child that's still in the state's care, even if they're in our home. That, that young lady that was highly upset, and I can understand why she might be highly upset, but the fact is, at the end of the day, the judge says yes or no in the process, and until you're able to adopt them, like even the young boy that we have, the little baby that we have, if the judge decided this coming up week that we should no longer have him, even though we've loved him and had him for over eight months, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the fact that the legal status, and what I want to say to a lot of us, as long as you think you're in control of things that you're truly not, you will be what? Let down heartbroken, heartache. It's going to be in the process. People are, again, easily offended. They're insecure, number three. They're insecure, and you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, they're insecure because they have a low self-esteem, typically. Uh, a low example of self-worth. They, they get upset about things, and it looks like they're always on the offensive, but in reality, they're on the defensive. They're on the defensive because they're always thinking that somebody's out to get them. You ever found somebody like that? 
The world's against them. Everybody's against them. Nobody's for them. And so what they're always on is the defensive, which means that they're always going to be offensive to jump out and say, stay back, keep your distance. And what is that really getting at? Inability to recognize their own worth, their own value, and inability to communicate because they're always doing what? They're lashing out at other people in the process of that. At the beginning of this whole COVID nonsense and the process of everything, when they were shutting everything down back, I believe it was in, in March, you know, I got into a conversation with someone that I was, I maintained composure, right? Good thing to do. Um, it's pretty hard to preach after you've yelled at somebody and, and they blow you up on Facebook or something like that. Um, so I, I maintained composure, but I mean, the, the conversation went from COVID to basically uh, political leanings and it went there pretty quick and they were of a strong persuasion opposite of my own. And I was just like, and they just went from, it was right here and then went whoop, and just like, I'm like, Squeeze. Yeah, I'm, I'm, like, I mean, it, it's just hardcore, like, you don't understand it. You don't know what people say to me. You don't know. I'm just like, maybe you need new friends. I mean, I, I, I would never say, I was like, and I totally disagree with you. I think you're totally wrong, and I think I can biblically prove that to you, but like, I can still be your friend. You're just wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like, but, but you have people, man, they're, they're, they're looking for it, and they're what? They're insecure, and when you're insecure, then you've got to what? Protect yourself all the time. And this goes to fourth, the thing I just mentioned, because those insecure people, the way that they defend themselves as number four, lash out because they're ill-equipped to properly express and communicate their frustrations. They're not equipped to do it. How many times have you ever been just so angry that you don't even have a word to say? You're just like, you know, is that a guy thing? Is that that's a guy? Yeah, guy thing. I mean, guys, what do we do? We hide in our caves. The ladies just want to keep talking. They're following you like. You know what I'm saying? Like the ladies usually y'all are better at speaking than we are. And so when the guys are like, give me my space, y'all are just following them. And like, I'll give you your space after you realize I'm right kind of deal. You know what I'm saying? Like y'all are laughing because you know it's kind of true, right? A lot of times the lashing out is simply because they do not know how to express and communicate the way that they are feeling. They have these meltdowns like a kid at the end of a grocery line when they're trying to check out and they didn't get the toy that they wanted. They're like, I want my toy and I want it now. And they're freaking out on you. And I just want to strangle the kid, you know? I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a great parent. Um, you know, like some people are like, oh, Johnny's mad. I'm like, well, Johnny's going to get hurt, you know? It's like... So I was going to get hurt. I'm not great at that. Um, I'm working on it, praise Jesus, but I'm not good at that. I knew a guy this summer, actually, grown, grown man, individual, and he got blasted um, because he was acting a fool. And it was all about his neighborhood. He lives in a nice neighborhood, and so people were just trying to take pictures in his neighborhood. And he got literally over 50-some-odd thousand views because this lady, once he started acting pretty belligerent, I mean, he made a sailor blush in the process of all this. I mean, this lady was videotaping him in the process of it. And then in the mix of it, he goes from like the left and right and stuff. That's how people cuss, by the way. Um, and anyway, and like when he was doing that, then next thing you know, he's just like, he did that. I mean, it's a grown dude. What am I describing to you? I'm describing to you people who have aged physically but emotionally and mentally in the capacity when it comes to expressing themselves are still around six or seven years old. What I am describing when I talk about people, and maybe you're there, maybe you've been there, maybe you're working through it and praying through it, but when I'm talking about people who are continually angry and continually 
upset and everybody's against you kind of thing. I'm, I'm talking about a childish tendency within us, which is number five on this list, and then we get into actually how do we fix it, is a lack of self-control because they lack discipline and structure growing up. I mean, we're, we're talking about people who have grown up who can shave, but they're still children. They lack self-control because they lack discipline and structure growing up. I told you that we got a really cool phone call on Wednesday. Well, we also got another phone call when that didn't work out. Um, I guess we're just blessed this week. The Lord wants to send us um, more and more children in our direction. And, uh, and so anyway, we got a phone call, I believe it was on Thursday night, and said, hey, we have two, two brothers. One's one and one's about to be three, and they need a home. You know, they had to be taken out of their home, bad situation, and we're over here just like, oh, snap. I mean, we're Burford Party at seven if we roll in this direction. Like, don't invite us out to eat because it ain't happening. You know what I'm saying? We roll tuna, we roll macaroni and cheese, okay? If you're going to bring food to us, which we'd love, make sure it's family size. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's, it's all of a sudden you go from, there's four of us, and then our, our sweet baby boy gets added in eight months ago when he's only a few days old, which that was a big enough change. I mean, I got autonomous, wonderful kids. I love them. And the next thing you know, like, you're waking up three and four times every single night. Praise Jesus for lack of sleep. Um, then you go into having these two kids, and, and they're sweet kids. But man, that three-year-old will give you a run for your money. Because they're coming from a broken home. You know it? He'll give you a run for your money because, man, the, the home is broken. I mean, I, I want to tell you this, like, y'all y'all truly be in prayer for us because we don't know how long we're, we're going to have them. But also, too, like, I, I got I to gotta make sure that we're providing them a good home to be in and my home doesn't fall completely apart in the process of it. Um, I mean, I'll tell you this. This young boy is calling me daddy. Who does that? He's three. You know, I, and I'm just saying, man, they're, they're dying for structure. They're dying to be loved. They're dying to be, you know what I'm saying? They're dying to be held. But in the process of that, they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff, man. Throw scissors across my house the other day, and I'm just one of those. I'm pretty, like, I'm, you know, straight and narrow. And they're like, out, out, out. Three-year-old didn't cuss, by the way. And I want to say this to us specifically as a church. Spend the time needed to raise your children. Spend the time needed to love your children. I'll say it this way, and I know this sounds half funny, but it's not. Don't raise children you don't like. I'm being straight. Like, do not raise children that you're just like, I got to have them, got to keep them because they were born to me, but I really don't like them. Do not raise children you do not like. Raise children that you genuinely want to be with because later is longer. Later is longer. And what, what do I mean by later is longer? I mean that it is very, very hard to be consistent as a, as a father and as a mother, especially if you're doing it by yourself as a single father or mother. It, it is very, very hard to be consistent, but I want to promise you this. Later is longer Spend the time for those years pouring into them, being consistent, doing the right things for the right reasons with the right values and the right principles, even though all of the families maybe around you are not. Do it so that you can then be their friend for the rest of their lives. Do it so that you can be a parent today, which is going to be really hard, 
then that you can be a friend for the rest of their lives and that you can enjoy the grandchildren that they end up bringing into your world and all those wonderful things. Raise them and do that hard work because if you do not and you do the route of YouTube or whatever is going to raise my children, I promise you this, it is going to reap what we sow in the process and I'm just saying we've got to work at it and we've got to be supportive of one another in the process of that because it's hard. Okay, it is hard to do it the right way and do it again and again and again. So here's the difference between those who are easily offended and those who are not easily offended. Number one is this. You want to be less offended by other people? Number one, relax. Laugh at yourself more often. That's number one. That's pretty simple, right? Not too deep. Relax. Laugh at yourself more often. Have a little bit more fun, right? You know, do you need a massage or you get tense? I don't know. You know, laugh a little bit, you know. Enjoy yourself. Do things that are a little bit more fun. Proverbs 17, 22. A joyful heart is good medicine. A joyful heart's good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. I want to tell you this. Surround yourselves with people who are fun to be around. Like surround yourself with people who are actually enjoyable, who have joy in their life so that you might be more of a joy-filled person in your own life. I want to tell you, if you're naturally one of the people that sees the gray in everything, then I want to ask you this. Begin when you begin to see negative in somebody otherwise. Begin to say, Lord, okay, help me. I'm immediately seeing negative. I'm immediately seeing what could have been done different, could have been done better, is begin to say that in your own life. Lord God, how can I live in reflection of you? How can I live as other people see? Some people basically go with this number. They're like, well, look, I'm just not that way. That's just not me. Maybe you got it easy. Your life's easy. You, don't, you haven't been through what I've been through. Okay, I'll tell you this. Joyful people are not people with less problems. Joyful people are not people with less problems, heartaches, or difficulties. They are, however, people who choose to see the best in life. That, that's, what, that's what you find. It is not so much what you have been through. It is how you begin to look at what you've been through in that process and say, Lord God, I trust you in the midst of it all. I don't have the answers for it all. I don't know how all this is working out. I don't, this hurts. But I want to see the best in every person and in every situation. Proverbs 15, 15. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a what? A continual feast. The cheerful of heart has a continual feast. I don't believe there's ever been anyone under more pressure and scrutinized more than the three years of Jesus' public ministry. I, I don't believe there has been. At every corner, they were looking for a way to trip him up, a way to see him fail, a way to see him lose, a way to discourage him from continuing his ministry. And this is what Jesus, who never had a meltdown, by the way, you know, I love the fact that Jesus says what? Cast your cares upon me because I care for you, right? If you're anxious, come to me. If you're tired, come to me. If you're exhausted and about to freak out, come to me. I mean, don't you love it? He's, he's not telling you come to me when everything's perfect because it's never going to be perfect. He's saying, come to me with all of your stuff, with all your baggage, with all of your dirty laundry, with all your stuff. Just come. He's the one who can actually clean us up. He's the one who actually loves us. But here's a promise that he gave us. He said in John 15, 11, these things I've spoken to you that your joy, or that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That's a promise from Jesus himself, that his joy, the joy that Jesus had, in perfect fellowship with the Father, that his joy might be what? 
our joy in us. This is why the scriptures again and again promise us that we're able to what? Rejoice always. That's like a command. And you're like, well, I'm not into always command. No, that's what the command is. Rejoice always. Paul says in Philippians 4.4, and again, I'll say it, rejoice. How is he able to say that? Because our joy is not taken from the circumstances that we're in. Our joy is set in Christ Jesus and our eternity is secure. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He tells us that the momentary afflictions, let's give context, heartache, being left, being mistreated, ill spoken of, physical sickness, pain, cancer, even death. The momentary afflictions that we go through in this life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that awaits us. Y'all check out that verse later, Romans 8, 18. The momentary afflictions that we go through, and Paul is someone who has a lot of weight behind him saying that because he's been through a ton. He's the same one that tells us you can rejoice always. And you're like, man, I just don't buy it. That's your biblical talk or whatever. Okay, the same Paul is the same Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 when they have been beaten, ripped all their clothes off, thrown into the stocks in the innermost part of the jail, and the stocks, their legs are going to be spread apart in an uncomfortable manner. Feces, dung, and urine, all are going to be around them. Rats and the rest, not a pretty 10 by 10 that's been washed with a toilet and maybe a mirror. That's not what we're looking at. And here they are at 12 a.m. in the morning with every reason to, if they were going to reject God, God, if you love your people like this, then I don't want anything to do with you. God, if you're going to let me go through things because I've been speaking your name like this and I don't want anything to do with you. They, of all people, had reason to be offended in what were they doing at 12 a.m.? Singing hymns of praise. And what does it say? And all of those in the jail heard them. Remember, our actions speak so much louder than our words. The world wants to know, is this Jesus that you claim to be the God, the Savior of the world, if he is real and if he has made a change in your life. God wants us to rejoice because it's also his will. Some people are saying, well, I need to know what God's will is. I'll tell you, it's very clear. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, it says, rejoice always. Verse 18, for that is the will of God. Like, that's what God wants from you. Not because you produce it within yourself, but because God within you. That's part of the, what? Gift of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Jesus even says this, rejoice when you suffer. James echoes that. Rejoice when you suffer. Rejoice when you go through hard times. If God can use Joseph's suffering to bring good, why not yours? I'm going to say that one more time. If God can use people like Joseph, if God can use people like Esther, if God can use people in the Bible again and again, and these are ordinary men and women, if God can use them, why cannot he use your circumstances? Why not? Why not? Secondly is this, we need to relax, have fun. Second though is be gracious. Y'all ready for it? People say and do stupid things. Can we get an amen this morning? And people are like, hey, amen, I'll tell you what right now. I mean, there's some, they, all of you are saying that's right and they do it. Just remember, you're part of the mass we call people. We all say and do some stupid stuff, right? We all do. But the one thing that you can do is begin to be gracious about what 
you allow to affect your mood and to affect the way that you're going to live your life because they're going to say stupid stuff about you. If you live long enough and you do more than hide underneath a rock, people are going to have something to say about you. At least you're being talked about. I love hearing it sometimes, saying, good to see you. Good to be seen. Better than being seen kind of deal. What do they say? It's kind of like a backwards deal. It's better than being viewed. <laughs> yeah, that's what they say. Well, here's the deal. We went to the concealed carry class this last week, um, Sunday after church. And uh, anyway, so you're getting in there. The guy's giving us a lot of really, really good information. I mean, he's pretty much telling us how to get away with murder. Just kidding. No, he didn't. He didn't do that. Um, he's, te- he's teaching us like how we do what we're supposed to do and how we respond and what is and is not legal when you feel like you're being threatened and all the rest. But he brought up two things that I thought were just perfect, especially when you take into principle what we're talking about today. He said this. He said, what am I, you, what am I willing to die for? He says, I need to know that so that I know how to properly react. Because if you think somehow or another when you have a situation where someone has a gun pointed at you or your family or you're asleep and someone's breaking into your home and somehow or another something you've never practiced or never thought through and you're going to turn into Rambo in the moment, in the instant, that's a false, that's a lie. You'll probably pee on yourself a little bit, he said. You know, I mean, that, that's, that's fact. So what he said was, I need to know who am I willing to die for? What am I willing to die for? What am I willing to die for? And what am I willing to kill someone for? He said, are you really willing to kill someone over a $40,000 truck? Is a human life worth a $40,000 truck? Or can you just be like, yes, officer, my truck is being broken in. Officer, my truck is actually being stolen. Officer, my truck is actually going down Highway 5 right now. Um, Yeah, northbound, that's right. He, He asked the question, he said, what are you willing to kill someone over? And what am I willing to die for? Now, I want to ask questions, same principle applied to our lives here. What am I willing to get completely bent out of shape over? What am I willing to allow to have that power over my life? What am I willing to just allow something to completely just like ruin my day? And then for me to ruin my day means I'm going to try to ruin your day in the process because I got to make sure I dump truck it, right? Okay, here's another one. Who am I willing to get completely bent out of shape over? Who? So what, but who? Who's going to have that power over your life? Who are you going to let have that power when they say stupid things? Remember, foolish people say foolish things, and you're foolish if you think that foolish people aren't going to say foolish things. That's just what they do. And in many cases, we're foolish people. And last one is this. Is it worth it to allow others' foolishness to determine my happiness. If we were more charismatic church, we'd be like, mm-hmm, amen. You know what I'm saying? Is it worth it to allow others' foolishness to determine my happiness? What I'm getting at, is it worth it to allow other people to have power over my life out of things I don't have any control over? Is it worth it? Proverbs 12, 16 says it this way, the vexation of a fool is known at once. When they're angry, they let you know. Now, I want you to notice that if you're one of those people that blows your lid over every little thing, what does it compare you to in the Bible? The vexation of a, you didn't say it very loud, but a fool is known at once, but the the prudent ignores an insult. The prudent. Proverbs 19, 11, good sense, can you say good sense with me? Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So if you are quick and regularly angered by others, do You do not have what? Good sense. I didn't say it. You did. I mean, think about it. Who are you going to let have control over your life? 
Who are you going to allow to basically say things about you and just destroy your view of yourself? One of the most refreshing things I've ever found was the example that is in Scripture. Moses and Aaron, man, they wanted to kill them on multiple occasions. It's great to be a leader, right? Lord God, thank you for allowing me to lead these people. They hate my guts. Thank you. And, and on multiple occasions, they wanted to kill them for no reason. They hadn't done anything wrong to them, but they wanted to kill them. And so what did they do? They start shouting, telling them how stupid they all are, throwing rocks at them, throwing up dust like Shimei. I mean, is that what they did? Every single instance. Check out Exodus. Check out Numbers. Check out Deuteronomy. It's going to show you. Every single instance, they fall before the tabernacle of God, which is where the presence of God was, and said, Lord God, fight our battles. David, in this instance, could have easily said, take his head off, shed blood. And what did David say? And I believe our answer every single time should be this. Maybe the evil that he's intended for me, the Lord will return good because of the way that I've responded today. And then it says he goes to the Jordan and gets refreshed. I think every single one of us need to take a lesson from David. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 21 and 22 says it this way. Do not take to heart all the things that people say. Can we say that this morning? Do not take to heart all the things that people say lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. What's that another way of saying? You know and I know we have said things that we shouldn't have said slandered grumbled gossiped we know and somehow we get super indignant when people do it and we find out about it against us and in reality we know we're the very same people we happen to catch them in the process though third and close here's the answer i believe for some of us this morning to find that peace and to have that joy and not be offended at everything it's be intentional live for christ not the praise of people be intentional, live for Christ, not the praise of people. If you are looking to be popular by people, then you're always going to be slanted in one direction or another because if they're not saying good things about you, then what do I need to change? What do I need to do to be popular? What do I need to do to be accepted? What do I need to do to get your praise? What do I need to do? And the answer is, who is worth you changing your life for? I say his name is Jesus. I say his name's Jesus. Too many of us, as Jeremy Wilson would say, are letting people live rent-free in our head. Too many of us are, are letting people and wrongs that have been committed against us live rent-free in our head and having this bitterness and anger. And what, what does that do? What does bitterness and anger do? It, it starts as a root and then grows into a massive tree that's really hard to remove then, right? We need to nip it in the bud. We need to make sure that we call out things that are not of Christ. There's a battle waging at all times, and most importantly, it's waging in your heart and in your mind, and therefore we need to call what's right, right, and call what's wrong, wrong, and live for Christ every single day, because at the end of the day, where does your help come from? How great do you feel when you return evil for evil? How good is it when you lash out and vex yourself on other people and have bitterness and anger and wrath? How good is it? How good does it feel? to be rotting from the inside out and it's affecting every relationship that you have and every person in here with even half the sense to say it would say it doesn't feel good at all. It doesn't feel good at all. Where are you going to go to be refreshed? Who's going to do it? Where are you going to go 
to find your worth and your value, to find your dignity and your hope, to find your joy and your future. Where are you going to go? I'd say Jesus. Well, you're a pastor, you're supposed to say Jesus. Have you ever known anyone to love you like he loves you? Have you ever? To sacrifice the way he sacrificed for you? To give up what he gave up for you so that you could be with him? I mean, have you ever had anyone love you so perfectly? And the answer in our heart is we haven't apart from Christ. But I would definitely say that a parent's love for a baby is pretty close. But have you ever been loved like that? Colossians 3, 1 through 3. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. If, if, if you've been right, I mean, if you are in Christ, set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are of this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You don't have to let another day go by where someone's slight, someone's rude word, gesture, or just completely ignoring you has to destroy you. Don't put that much hope in people. Put it in your Savior. Put it in Jesus Christ. Not another day has to go by that we live a life where we're always looking and searching for someone to tell us you're doing good and you're going to be okay. That's awesome. But I want you to remember this. Jesus on that cross said, it is finished. You are forgiven and you are loved. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, we come before you thanking you, Lord, for an opportunity to read in your scriptures this morning. Father, for a chance to be reminded, Lord God, that you are our peace and you are our hope and you are our joy. Father, you have washed us clean by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. Our consciences no longer have to relive the moments of our ignorance. We don't have to live with our past always haunting us. Father, we know that the enemy is a liar and a deceiver and he wants to bring up things again and again telling us that we're not worthy and we're not worth it and you don't love us, Lord God. But the truth is, according to your word, you do love us. You proved your love by sending your son, Jesus Christ, the greatest sacrifice and the greatest gift that could ever be given. You gave it for us. Every day we get to live in light of that. Every day we recognize that our lives are hidden in Christ Jesus. Not a moment goes by that you are not with us and that you do not love us. Lord God, make this absolutely clear in our minds and in our hearts this morning as we sing one last song of praise to you. In Jesus we pray.